Folks, I'm a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, we're going to break down the election results, starting with a quick reaction to the outcome at the presidential level. And we'll zoom in to uh, look at the dynamics here in Arizona. We're recording this on uh, a Tuesday, one week after uh, the presidential election and a day before Veterans Day. Shout out to all the uh, all the veterans out there. We thank you for your service. And the beginning here of the podcast uh, was a clip from Joe Biden's uh, speech after the networks on this was this recent Saturday after the uh, media networks uh, officially called him the president elect. And I, I like his rhetoric. I, I appreciate it is his tone of, of healing and, uh, and unity, even though maybe it's naive, but it still to me <laughs> feels healing and, and gives me, and gives me hope. Uh, that we'll we'll get through this tumultuous time. And one one clip he said he said in uh, this right after the clip we played said something about division being a choice and um, this refusal to to work together in a bipartisan way being a choice. And just as we make this choice to not work together to get things done, that we can also make the choice to do the opposite and actually work together to solve, to solve problems. So to me, that was just my, I appreciated that rhetoric. Um, but I want to get your take on, um, the presumptive <laughs> presidential, uh, presidential elect. Um, what's your take first on the, the, the status of the race. And then also presuming that Biden will be, um, the president elect, uh, what's the what's kind of your big picture takeaway from that outcome? Uh, sure, and and the presumptive um, uh, president elect was sort of a nod to what you know uh, is my um, objection to the media um, supposedly making the official call as to election outcomes. Um, the media has no official role um, in the election uh, process uh, and the people who do um, are still counting votes. Uh, it is uh, extraordinarily uh, likely there, that um, Joe Biden, when the votes are all counted and certified, uh, will be the next president of the United States, but um, there are still enough close states with enough votes outstanding uh, that there's a highly remote possibility um, that what appears to be inevitable uh, will not occur. But I do believe it's appropriate uh, for purposes of analysis to assume that uh, Joe Biden will be the next president of um, the United States. 
Uh, it is clear, I think, from the results uh, and uh, what we know about what motivated uh, voters uh, that this was sort of an act of political cleansing. Um, this wasn't really about electing Joe Biden president of the United States. It was about removing uh, Donald Trump as uh, president of the United States. Um, Trump um, uh, precipitated a large turnout among Democrats, a consolidation of support for the nominee among Democrats, and a strong tilt towards the Democrats by uh, independence. Um, but the fact that it was primarily about ejecting um, Trump, uh, I think, is manifested by the other results. Um, Democrats didn't pick up the Senate seats that they anticipated. Uh, they not only did not pick up um, House seats, they actually lost uh, seats in the House. We saw that replicated uh, here in Arizona. Um, Trump is losing Maricopa County by a fairly strong margin, about 50,000 votes. Uh, nevertheless, um, virtually all Republicans uh, running for county seats are eking out a victory. I think that the independents, a certain percentage of the independents did hold Trump against Republicans up and down the ticket, um, but uh, enough of them were willing to uh, differentiate between Trump and other Republicans, um, that Republicans are eking out um, narrow victories in county races uh, and in state legislative races. So um, not much uh, is big changes in Arizona except for uh, Mark Kelly um, winning the uh, U.S. Senate seat and the Arizona, ha Arizona having uh, two Democratic uh, senators. That's a big difference. But other than that, uh, the gains in Arizona were relatively modest. So one more one more thing on the on the national level before we dive, I want to dive in in a little bit more detail to the to the Arizona uh, results. I, I was a little bit. You might not have been surprised that the Republicans held on to you know, at least neck and neck in the in the in the Senate raise the national level. I thought maybe that the Democrats were going to going to sweep in and be able to implement a lot of their, you know, you know, more structural sort of change that they were they were looking at. Um, do you think that at the national level, uh, voters just didn't like that structural um, message that they thought and, and you and you warned about it uh, on the podcast in your in your columns? about how this, the message of, you know, moving towards uh, more government controlled uh, healthcare, like kind of like the flirtation with uh, court packing um, and, and some of those higher, higher taxation, European style um, social democracy. Do you think that is what was rejected by voters um, or, you know, is there any sort of, mandate or clear message about what voters want from Biden as a, as a president? Um, uh, I was surprised uh, that uh, Republicans did as well as uh, they did um, outside of the presidential race uh, and the U S Senate race in Arizona. Um, I thought um, Trump would hit, 
would be more of a damaging uh, factor on down ballot Republicans. Um, I don't know uh, the extent to which voters uh, nationally um, consciously choose divided government um, as a way of checking one party against the other. Uh, but they certainly have achieved that result um, consistently uh, since the 1994 election. Um, it, they've only given consolidated power uh, over, over 14 election cycles, including uh, this one, uh, to a single party, giving a single party the presidency, the Senate, and the House. That's only occurred four out of 14 elections. And in three of the four, the very next election, uh, voters gave control of one of the houses of Congress or the presidency uh, to the opposition party. Um, so there's certainly, certainly the result of the voting uh, has tended to result in divided government. Uh, if Republicans pick up one of the two Georgia seats that are subject to runoff, that will be the result of this election. Irrespective, I do believe that the fact that Democrats didn't have the pickups that they wanted um, will reduce the likelihood that some of the things that Biden was proposing and Democrats other than Biden uh, were uh, going to clamor for, um, I think those things are highly unlikely uh, to emerge, that that was not a winning formula um, for yeah. Democrats. So I it think feels... I think Biden has a mandate to not be a jerk in the White House. <laughs> it just and, feels too, yeah, go ahead. And uh, I think, I mean, Biden's a deal maker, McConnell's a deal maker if he remains Senate Majority Leader, Pelosi can be a deal maker. This may be another partisan standoff for two years, and then we kind of rerun the same garbage. Or it may be that those leaders will actually try to find at least a narrow range of subjects on which um, some agreement can be reached. They, they both have a history of so. being deal makers, of being partisan grandstanders, um, and the mode that they adopt uh, is situational. It's whatever they think the moment calls for, both in terms of substance and politics. I, I hope they can, I hope that the, I know a lot of the radical left is upset with Biden for, for making a more conciliatory tone, especially as uh, Trump and, and, and many Republicans are sort of um, claiming fraud and, and, trying to burn the whole house down, it seems like. But I do hope that there can be reconciliation and, and progress because there are a lot of important issues that, that need to be addressed. And it's, it seems to me, I don't know if you would see it this way, but it seems to me that the parties are both kind of like scrambled up. You know, it seems like, you know, the Republican Party is kind of historically seen as, I don't know, the business, uh, you know, the business capitalist uh party. Um, but now it seems like it's more of a populist, um, I mean, working class, maybe word th is thrown out there sometimes, um, that's becoming more multiracial, maybe for some, some commentators, 
uh, point that out. Um, but then, you know, you, you normally think of that as, as part of the Democrat party, the Democratic party, but they've got a strange mixture too of these, you know, these more, more radical socialists and then the, and then the moderates that, that want to make deals. Is this, I mean, is there anything to make of that, how the, how in flux or, or, you know, not coherent that both parties seem to be, are we, you know, long, long term, are we, are we looking at a, a restructuring of, of, um, the dynamics of, of the parties? Oh, you know, what do you, well, when, is there when anything you have, to that? When you have a two party system, um, uh, the two parties are going to be uh, broad coalitions. They're they're not going to be monolithic um, philosophically because you simply can't get to a majority um, that way. Um, the populist uh, nationalism that Trump made front and center of the Republican Party uh, was always an element of the Republican coalition. It was... Uh, not in charge until Trump. Uh, it was social conservatives and free market conservatives and strong defense conservatives that had uh, the upper hand. Uh, with with Trump, clearly the populist nationalists um, had uh, the upper hand. Uh, what that will uh, be post-Trump um, I think is completely up in the air. I mean, clearly, I think everyone anticipates that Trump's not going to go away. Uh, and um, he will have an influence on trying to retain that as the dominant theme. On the Democratic side, um, you, you do now have a much more explicit a faction uh, calling for uh, European st European style social democracy, uh, and the forces that uh, want an alternative uh, approach that's uh, more in keeping with um, American democratic capitalism uh, has waned uh, within the Democratic Party. Um, but uh, Democrats um, need to be in that traditional mode in order to win the swing districts that are necessary to get them into power. Uh, and so I believe uh, that um, irrespective of whether Republicans keep control of the U.S. Senate or Democrats take it over, um, that the drive towards policies that would render us more of a European-style social democracy um, will um, have uh, dissipated, and we won't see that as the agenda. Um, you know, there are certain practical things that will give us an early test of the extent to which there will be cooperation. Um, we, we don't have a budget for the fiscal year that we're currently in. A temporary fix towards the um, end of the year was adopted. So uh, immediately, um, Congress is going to have to decide with the president um, a budget for the uh, remainder of the year. I think there's general belief, even though I don't think that there's much that needs to be done in terms of additional COVID-19 uh, fiscal uh, relief. I think that there's a consensus in Congress that there is. Um, it's been 
uh, in a state of paralysis uh, based upon the differences between uh, Pelosi in the House and McConnell in the Senate. Um, I think Biden will want to get something done and he will have a larger ability to influence what the Democrats in the House are willing to accept and um, who knows what will happen. But we, we will get early tests to see which way yeah. it's going to go. Yeah. Biden might be relieved a little bit <laughs> that he doesn't have to <laughs> um, negotiate with Mark Kelly. Might be a little bit relieved about that too. Um, let's <clears throat> let's zoom into the um, to the Arizona dynamics, which I thought was very interesting. I mean, I wouldn't have expected. I don't think I would have expected uh, Prop 207 and Prop 208 to pass. So so we have what, what you said was a true sign of political transformation in Arizona being the passage of a tax rich plan uh, to fund education that passed uh, 207 legalization of marijuana passed. Um, there's still about, you know, un, un, unknown, um, but not a, not a large amount of votes to let to be counted, but Biden's up on Trump um, by about 12.8 um, thousand by, by the time we're recording this Mark Kelly um, defeated Martha McSally. I wouldn't have expected all those outcomes, and then to see uh, a Republican hold Maricopa County, Republican uh, uh, Republican hold Maricopa County Attorney um, Stephen Richer looks like he's uh, pulling ahead and may get the Maricopa County Recorder um, spot, um, and the and the Arizona Legislature remaining uh, <laughs> remaining in Republican uh, majority. So, I mean, is there a blue wave in Arizona uh, right now? And how do you, um, you, you talked to John briefly earlier, but what's, um, maybe maybe dive into in the weeds a little bit more in, in terms of your, um, your takeaway from the seemingly kind of scrambled partisan result. Um, Proposition uh, 208, um, is a result that I did not anticipate the, the passage of the tax, the rich scheme, um, to fund education. Uh, but I also frankly expected a, uh, ro more robust and more effective, uh, opposition campaign. Uh, it will very narrowly pass. Um, I think a, um, better campaign might very well have, uh, changed that outcome, but there's no question that that, uh, is transformative of the Arizona political economy uh, in a way that I did not um, anticipate. Um, but I do believe that the ballot measures are distinguishable from how people uh, vote uh, in candidate races. Um, and uh, I think what happened in Arizona is, is that you saw as uh, occurred nationally, uh, you had a, a increase in Democratic registration, in Democratic turnout, and Democratic unity. Um, Democrats did not engage in crossover voting. You had independents uh, in the uh, president's, uh, president race and U.S. Senate race tilt dramatically towards um, Democrats. But it's clear from the other results that we described uh, that Democrats didn't stay as decisively tilted. Uh, independents didn't remain as decisively tilted towards Democrats in the down ballot races. 
and enough of them were willing to split their ballot um, uh, to allow Republicans to prevail. Uh, Democrats have reduced the registration advantage that, that Republicans have uh, enjoyed uh, at the same time that we were expanding the electorate uh, and registration of independents have increased. So you're in a position, as I described in 2018, where a good Democratic candidate has a chance to win uh, a, a statewide race. I think you can now say that a good Democratic candidate has a chance to win in Maricopa County. Um, independents actually outnumber uh, Democrats in Maricopa County. Um, but independents are now the ones that are the decision maker. If they tilt strongly towards one party or, or the other, it's over. Uh, if they split their ballots, um, then Republicans still have the plurality and registration and turnout and, and uh, have, have an advantage. Um, but it's a two-party state now. We're not going to have the uh, Republican uh, hegemony that we had um, from 2006 through 2016, um, when not a single statewide Democrat won election. I think those days are probably over for us for a long period of time. Were there any candidates or were there any candidates that stood out to you or uh, that, that maybe surprised you or that you thought kind of stood out as, um, overperforming uh, and in a in a more effective way than maybe you expected in in winning those independents and and holding their their party's votes as well well you you have to say that that mark kelly's campaign um was remarkably efficient and effective um and i never would have guessed that he would have gotten into the u.s senate with being almost a complete blank slate on policy and uh, not having to uh, provide some substance to his claim to being a, a, a nonpartisan problem-solving uh, technocrat. Um, but um, his own campaign brilliantly um, avoided those specifics and sold biography uh, and allowed uh, Martha McSally's uh, inability to mount an effective campaign bury her. It's still, I mean, the, the most um, out, the, the result that kind of stands out is how far McSally ran behind Trump, even though Trump presumably lost Arizona. She still ran way behind him. So uh, there's uh, tens of thousands of voters um, who voted for Trump who couldn't stomach McSally. Um, so rather than one that stands out, that's kind of, uh, in a positive way, that's kind of the one that stands out to me in a, in a negative way. Well, I mean, why, why would that be the case? Can you imagine a Trump, a Trump Kelly voter? It's it, and it may be that it's people who skipped the U.S. Senate race, but yeah. Martha McSally had two chances to introduce herself to Arizona voters, and I think she blew both of them. Uh, and she just uh, developed um, sort of a uh, 
um, nasty pers public persona um, that I don't think is um, truly her, but uh, that's the way she came across. The and um, people were willing to buy a nasty Trump in order to stave off the Democratic agenda. Um, uh, but uh, Kelly didn't embrace the Democratic agenda. He was the nonpartisan, pragmatic, uh, problem-solving yeah. technocrat. Uh, and that wasn't enough to cause enough people to vote for someone whom they regarded as unpleasant. The the bulwark ran a uh, a pretty detailed column on on McSally's history in, in Arizona. I, I I had never actually read about <clears throat> some of her early uh, congressional campaigns, how she how she lost a couple times before winning um, her uh, her house seat. Where do you think? Um, I mean, where do you think she goes from here in terms of her um, her uh, political career um is she retire from it or or is there any chance to rehabilitate her on the on the statewide level or what do you think her she, uh, legacy is going to be she had a chance to rehabilitate really rehabilitate herself in this election and and failed to do so i, I think she's got a, a hugely tarnished uh, political brand um and i do not see a political future for her in um, Arizona, um, I, I think that there might be, um, from her military background, she always were, were given uh, substantive, important appointments. Uh, I think she's a person of talent, um, so there may be some administrative jobs in a Republican administration that she would be uh, suited for. She's still a, relative, a very young person. Um, so I'm sure that there will be a next act for her. I just can't imagine that it involves electoral politics in Arizona. What about Doug Ducey's, um, how, how does he, how does he emerge from the, from the Trump era? He, I mean, for me, um, I've, you know, I've just, I mean, I've continually, obviously I've been highly critical on this podcast and, you know, of, of Trump and, and disdainful of the willingness of Republicans to um, call what they, you know, would call black, white if, if, if Trump is saying so. I think there's been too much of a, um, a willingness to go along with that. And you're, and I, in my opinion, you're seeing that even, um, even now with the way that they're, you know, Republican leadership is is responding to uh, these claims of fraud and but that that Trump's making. But <clears throat> I mean, but and I think I'm I think I'm I was you know continually demoralized by that, disappointed by that because I thought he was in a position to actually um, challenge Trumpism in a serious way. I mean, he had uh, a major victory in in 2018 by being a um, you know, uh, a trustworthy, moderate, but, um, but, but strong leader. And, and it seems like if you look at his, his, his popularity with COVID, the way he's kind of gone along full bore with Trumpism, um, do you think he also gets a, a Tartar's legacy from this? Or do you think he has, he's been bolstered? See, obviously, his strategy is to maintain the base, um, even though the Trump base has been attacking him for 
the COVID restrictions that he put on and, and in the past for supporting red flag laws. I mean, it just, you know, he's obviously been trying to maintain the base, but also appeal. Do you think he's pulled that off? What do you think his, his future uh, looks like if he has future political ambitions? Well, um, Ducey's been uh, consumed by COVID um, and uh, it has largely sight-lined him um, from um, Arizona politics. I, I think the passage of Proposition 208 can in part be attributed uh, to the fact that um, COVID had uh, sidelined him. He was a very effective advocate against um, the previous uh, tax increase for uh, education in 2012. Um, I think that his reputation will depend upon what happens between now and the end of his term. Um, state finances have um, are, are, are in a surprisingly uh, healthy position. Uh, he will we'll see what happens with COVID. Obviously, we're back to uh, rising um, uh, infections and uh, renewed calls for uh, stronger measures, uh, which Ducey is so far uh, resisting. Uh, and at the same time, you have mounting legal challenges um, to the steps that he uh, has uh, implemented. Um, so I, I think it's kind of hard in the mix of all this uh, to figure out where he's going to stand politically at the end of it. Uh, what's yet to come is more important than where we are now. Um, but I will say this. I mean, if you're, look, you're looking at another U.S. Senate race in uh, 2022 uh, in uh, Arizona, Mark Kelly is back up Um for election. Uh, you have Kirsten Cinema up in 2024. Uh, and even though Ducey has consistently um, professed that he has no interest in being a U.S. senator, uh, there's utterly no one in the state uh, that matches his um, track record. Uh, and I think that uh, if he does emerge from the current uh difficulties that the state faces um, with a reputation as a sound pragmatic manager um, still intact or maybe recovered, uh, then there's no one, I think there'll be enormous public national pressure on him to, to take a run at it. If you look beyond Ducey, I mean, you have very hard bitten conservatives like Andy Biggs, who went all in for Trump. Uh, and Trump's been a huge negative for Republicans uh, nationally, but particularly here in Arizona. Um, so um, Ducey kind of stands alone as someone with large name ID um, that despite your disappointment in, in him not calling out Trump, um, isn't seen as um, a complete uh, Trumpite um, who has an independent political identity um, that uh, that that the Trump anchor uh, won't uh, threaten to sink. 
Um, and you really yeah. can't say that about any other Republican that has kind of statewide status. Yeah. I mean, don't think like I just imagine him in a Senate campaign and the attack ads showing him at a huge Trump rally yelling into the crowd, you know, during, during COVID. I mean, is that, is that doom in, in four years when who knows how high the death count is of COVID and he was the governor during that time? Well, and it may be just two years. I, I, yeah. I think it depends. I mean, we have promising results from a vaccine. Um, Arizona has, um, uh, done much better economically and in, in terms of state finances than other states uh, yeah. with respect to COVID. Uh, even with these elevated um, numbers, uh, so far at least, uh, the strain on our hospital system has not been nearly as severe as it is in some other states. Um, so while, while we're in the midst of it, um, he's uh, getting poor marks on his handling of COVID. It may be that in retrospect, it looks much better. And I think um, that will be, have deeper roots in the electorate um, than the fact that he spoke at uh, Trump rallies when Trump was the titular head of the Republican Party. Uh, now, if his handling of COVID and the state's economy is um, seen as a negative, uh, well, then those images can be a nice uh, capturing of yeah. uh, and reinforcement of, of that sentiment. So I don't think it dooms him. Um, but uh, between now and 2022 or 2024, his management of COVID needs to be um, more favorably regarded by the body politic uh, than it currently is. And for the reasons that I mentioned, I think there's a chance that that might be the way that it turns out. Yeah. Um, well, one, one last thing here, I, I would like to um, shout out a candidate that I thought was noteworthy. Um, and that's Stephen Richer running for Maricopa County recorder, you know, as, as much as I am suspicious and distrust distrustful of, of Trumpism and and more suspicious of the Republican Party under under Trump. Um, I never thought that I would be, you know, kind of open or respectful of a Republican running to manage the elections in Maricopa County, you know, especially now. You know, I would never have wanted Steve Gaynor to be running the the be the Secretary of State right now under these conditions. Uh, but I, I did think he ran a, a respectable campaign and, and kind of thread the needle between, you know, at one point you might be have the temptation to buy into all these conspiracies and, and to spread it to try to route the base. He didn't do that. Um, and there's their temptation maybe to to stay away from that at all and not to be not to be critical at all um, because you're afraid to be seen by the independents or the Democrats as being a Trump, you know, um, conspiracy monger or something. And I did think he, he, uh, he, he campaigned, you know, very effectively and, and obviously gained the trust of, you know, as we speak right now, the majority of, of voters in Maricopa County, you know, when Trump lost big time, you know, under the name of, of the Republican party. So, um, I thought that was pretty noteworthy. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think uh, any, anything else you want to you want to add? Any takeaways about 
um, by the race where we're at right now moving forward? Um, <laughs> no, this has been a, a long and unpleasant uh, journey. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad that as a practical matter, it's over. I think um, national Republicans are kind of trying to talk Trump off the ledge uh, in hopes of ultimately getting him to come around to a, uh, a quasi-normal uh, transition of, of power. Yep. Um, I don't think that his defeat is going to mean uh, his disappearance to the extent uh, I thought it would um, and uh, would have hoped for. Uh, I think we're going to have, um, we're going to remain, we're, Trump's going to remain a part of our political life um, and a continuation of the torment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad the campaign season's, <laughs> season's over behind us, ready to ready Think to of the on. pity the to... poor people in Georgia. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> every, yeah, I'm glad I'm not in Georgia. Every over-caffeinated political activist and political consultant in America is about to descend upon them. They're going to be going through Christmas and New Year's and... No relief for Georgia. Well, I thought I was going to feel some relief after the election, and now everyone's all the Republicans are pretending it's 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 Trump won. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, so I, yeah, I'm just looking forward to that being over, and you know, uh, let's let's move on. Let's <laughs> let's see what the Biden era brings here. Um, well, the other thing going on is we got Masters in November. What do you think about what do you think about that? <laughs> Masters in November with no fans. Um, it's still Augusta National. Uh, the players um, regard it as a cathedral. Um, and uh, I suspect it will um, produce excitement. Um, apparently, because of different grasses, the players expect it to play a little differently. But uh, golf is in very good shape. You have so many good players that have a chance to win uh, that every um, every um, tournament um, has lots of potential uh, and the Masters have a special place. And I think it uh, for both the sport and for those who follow the sport, uh, it's sort of a um, nice uh, point of celebration in light of um, what we're all going through. Definitely. Well, you, you, that, you, have, you have a favorite for the Masters. Well, is is Tiger defending? Is he defending? He is. is he he won last year? He did. Uh, I don't know. I, I was root for I was root for Tiger to to rack up those those major uh, records. But um, yeah, I think just just echo what you said. I mean, I'm just excited to to watch, uh, to watch some sports and, uh, hopefully watch a competitive match. Um, well, thanks to everybody for listening to the political notebook podcast. Uh, you can find us on, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, anywhere that you find and listen to podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>